Well, this is a message that's uh, kind of been on my heart for for a while, and uh, particularly it, it's something that's very personal to me. Uh, when the Lord has been speaking to me about um, the role of lead pastor at CFM, Joshua chapter one was particularly significant in that. So it's something that's uh, close to my heart. But thinking of the the year that we've had and the challenges that we've had with loss, with grief, with fear, with confusion, and everything else that's been thrown in, I think we, we probably are more fragile than we realize. And there's still uncertainty in the future. It's so a question that I often ask myself, if I'm not quite sure what's ahead in the future, how will I be able to step into the future? How will I be able to cope? Where do I draw the strength from? And this morning, I think as we delve a little bit into the story of Joshua, I think it will give us an encouragement as we step into the unknown, as much as Joshua had this incredible sense of encouragement as he, leading God's people, stepped into the unknown. Let me put a little bit of context so that we're a little bit more familiar. So you you had uh, probably one of the most significant, if not the most significant leader in the history of the Israelites, Moses was the key leader that God had used to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. But just because they came out of Egypt, it didn't mean that mission was accomplished. And in fact, they ended up in the wilderness of their own disobedience for 40 years, just going around in circles, never really getting to the promised land, which was the aim of why they came out of Egypt to step into the promises of God. And this is a sad moment because at the start of Joshua chapter 1, it simply says this, after the death of Moses. I mean, this would have been a heartbreaking moment in the life of the Israelites because this was the man that God had raised to bring them out of Egypt and lead them into the promised land. Yet there he is, after all those ups and downs that you can read in Exodus you find that Moses dies. And if you would have been one of the Israelites, you would have said, we didn't get where we were supposed to be. Okay, we got out of Egypt and we're kind of in the sort of second best scenario where we're just out of Egypt, but in an in-between, in an uncomfortable in-between because we still haven't got into the promised land. We still haven't gotten hold of all the fullness of what God had for us. If you and I would have been one of the Israelites, we would have been filled with a sense of anxiety, confusion, thinking, well, what's going to happen now? Moses is dead. How are we going to go ahead? What's going to be the solution? What will happen? But this is where we find some incredible encouragement that I think would be very helpful for us as we navigate right at the very beginning of this year into the unknown of what 2021 is, is preparing for us. I mean, it's, uh, it, it's really quite interesting. A lot of people were on, on social media were kind of, oh, 2020, be gone, you know, horrible year, be gone. But we don't know what 2021 holds for us. We all trust and, and have a strong hope that it can't get any worse. 
But the truth is we don't know anything at all about the future, nothing about today, nothing about tomorrow. There is a deep sense of uncertainty. So how do we step into all of this? And I love the way God is speaking, not just to Joshua, but to the people as well. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend, and he gives the whole geographical boundary. And then he says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How do we step into the unknown? How does Joshua step into leading God's people into this? By putting God first, by having the right priorities. I love the way, right from the very beginning, everything is God-centered. Now, my temptation and your temptation is to control our life. We're super control freaks, all of us. Some of you might be saying, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not as bad as my spouse. I'm not as bad as my kid. I'm not as bad as my boss. I am not really that bad as a control freak. Trust me. Every single one of us is craving control. It's one of the biggest battles, even for us as Christians, that that we face, is control. We want to be in control. Every single time something throws us and we lose control, it's scary. And actually, right from the very beginning, what God doesn't promise Joshua is that Joshua will be in control. What God promises Joshua is that I, 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 I. Everything in those first five verses are just peppered with I, I, I. I have actually got it underlined in my Bible. You can underline it or circle it. It's I, 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 I. Right at the very heart of God's encouragement is himself. I'm sorry, I can't give you a, a, a pep talk today telling you you're going to do well in the year ahead, whatever's coming your, your way. I can't do that. I can't do it for myself. I, I can't do that. I would lie to you if I would be saying, come on, you're strong, you're great, you're resourceful, you're wise, you're super brilliant. I can't. What I can tell you is that he is. And he does that to Joshua, and it's kind of a threefold sort of uh, God-centered package that is there. First of all, he is saying to Moses, he's speaking to him. He's saying this. He says in verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, God is speaking to him. Ah, it's the deepest longing of my heart, particularly when stuff is kind of, you feel like the rug's been being pulled from under your feet. Once you're used to having intimacy with God and God speaking to you, the thing that you miss most is God speaking to you. So he does that to Joshua. 
and he's speaking to him and he's communicating with him. And that's part of what makes us keep on going. When God is speaking to us in the midst of the crazy circumstances of the world that we live in, when God is speaking to you, you feel like you can carry on because God is speaking. You can hear his voice. And God is communicating. And what he does is God gives him the diagnostic of the problem. So he, even God himself, he's saying, Moses, my servant is dead. So he's basically saying, bro, you've kind of ended up in a tough situation. Because the guy that I used to lead my people out of Egypt is dead. He was a mighty, powerful, awesome leader. So let's face the truth. This is a hard time. And I love that God states reality. God is into reality and Jesus consistently framed reality in the midst of difficulties. You know, when Jesus is uh, uh, woken up, when, when, when the storm breaks out in the boat, you know, he doesn't say, oh, let's just pretend there is no storm. No, he sees it as a storm and he speaks into it. When, people again, when Peter again is about to sink, Jesus is going and reaching out to him and pulling him out. Jesus is not into trying to live this pretense life where everything is hunky-dory and it's great. No. So he's saying to Joshua, Joshua, here's the truth. Moses is dead. This is a tough time. This is a challenging situation. But as part of that, he doesn't just give him the diagnostic, he gives him the direction and he says to him, Moses is dead. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give you. So he gives him a sense of direction. And again, this is what you want to hear from God. You, you want to hear a sense of reality. You want to know that God knows what's going on and he cares about it. One of the most frustrating things that sometimes we feel in our life is when we feel that everything what's going on around us doesn't connect with our reality. Have you ever been in a church service at time? Because I have. And, and you feel like everybody's kind of in a happy bubble and you're kind of, your whole world is falling apart. And you're like, man, I just, and, and the preacher is preaching about something and the, the, the worship leader is singing about something and somebody's giving testimony about something. And you're just thinking, man, this is like La La Land. You know, where everybody's on a different plane and I'm just a weirdo here. It doesn't happen with God and Joshua. God is rooted in the reality and the difficulty of the situation. But God is giving a solution. He's not just telling uh, Joshua, hey, mate, you, Moses is gone. Tough luck. Now you guys have to try to find your way out. No, no, no. He's speaking very specifically to Joshua. And he's saying to him, get ready. Get ready. Now, it's your responsibility. It's your time. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. There is hope in this. There is a, come on, son. Moses is dead. We've been grieving. We're accepting the reality that things are tough. But now it's time to up sticks and move on and get into the fullness of the promises that are reserved for you and your people. Now is your time. You've got to rise up. That's what God is doing. He's bringing a sense of revelation. He speaks to him and he's giving him the diagnostic of the situation. But he's also giving him direction. He's saying, right, time for you to lead. Time for you to play your part. Time for you to be used by me.
So that's kind of part one of, of, the, of the package of, of a God-centered life that God is giving. The second part is, is breaking it down and he's saying to him, now you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them. I am about to give to them. I am about to give to them. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I have promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, and all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. God is bringing an incredible package of promises here. Because if Joshua is anything like me and like you, we're like, okay, thank you. Thank you for stating the fact that Moses is dead. Thank you for telling me and acknowledging that life is tough and the circumstances are challenging. Thank you for speaking. Oh God, I am so glad you're speaking. I can hear your voice. And thank you for telling me that now it's time to cross into the promised land. But God, and depending on your personality, this could take five minutes or five days. How is this going to happen? I'm a pragmatist at heart. Pep talks and nice sayings don't do much. I, I, I want a plan. I want a mind map. I want some bullet points. I want some guidance. And I just, again, I love the way God is, is reaching out to Joshua as a leader. And he's not just saying to him, right, you, you know, it's just going to happen. Buckle up and trust me. I love the kindness of God as he unpacks this and he's giving him these promises. They're so powerful. And he's saying to Joshua, you've got to get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land and I am about to give it to you. Because Joshua could have asked that question. You know, sometimes what God is saying is replying to the questions that are in our minds that we maybe never even have the courage to voice. Because Joshua could have asked the question, by whose power are we going to do this? Who's going to enable us to do this? Because if you're looking at me, I haven't got what it takes. And God is saying, don't worry. I am going to do it. It's me that does it. I am going to give you and the Israelites the land. And again, anticipating a second question that Joshua could have said, which bits, how much of it? And God is saying every single place where you set your foot, I'm going to give it to you. Well, that's kind of crazy. Because God could have just said, I'm just going to give you Jericho and maybe Ai. And maybe one or two other places. But God is saying every single place where you set your foot, I will give it to you. What are the limits? I'm asking you. What are the limits of that statement from God? It's limitless. It's basically wherever, wherever you guys are going to go, I'm going to give it to you. And almost the onus is a little bit, and here is the tricky thing, the onus is a little bit on them. God is saying, it's all bought, 
it's all, the battles are all won, but you've got to walk it into it. You've got to own it. You've got to want it. See, it's not just a sense of blank promises from God. This is it. You've got, you, you've got to play your part as well. So we're dealing with this beautiful thing where there's this tension that sometimes people in churches are trying to play at each other. It's the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. You know, sometimes people just kind of go on the sovereignty of God. It's all God, all God, all God. I don't need to do anything. Just sit on my butt and the land will be conquered. The other extreme is, oh, it's all about me. I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. It isn't. God cooperates and there's this shared responsibility between his sovereignty and our responsibility. And God is saying, I'm going to give you all. It's all going to be my working, but you've got to walk into it. Everything is prepared in that package of promises. I'll give you every place you set your foot as I promised Moses. I love that little reference. Because Joshua could have had this thing inside of him going, but I'm not Moses. And he wasn't. They were two very different people. Moses was the comprehensive leader. He was the one that had the intimacy with God. He'd seen God in this miraculous encounter at a burning bush. He got the Ten Commandments. Joshua never, never had anything like that. It, when when uh, uh, Moses would be going to, to, to worship in the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting, where would be Joshua? Outside, guarding the entrance. When Moses would be holding his hands up in prayer as they were fighting the Amalekites, and Aaron and Hur were holding his hands up when he was getting tired, where was Joshua? Down in the valley with a sword in his hand. They were two very different people. And Joshua could have had that inner thing where he could have said, but I'm not Moses. And God is saying to him, you don't need to be Moses. What I promised Moses, I will give to you as well. God gives this amazing package. And he gives him the boundaries, the territory from Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates, the Hittite country to the great sea to the west. He gives him the boundaries. You know what God is doing? I mean, we can't see it because we're not familiar with this map, but straight away God is speaking into Joshua's mind and he's saying, I'm giving you the boundary, the map, everything. See, this is the equivalent of the bullet points. Or, or, or the mind map. This is God breaking it down. And he's saying, you want to know how I'm going to help you? I'm going to go with you. And wherever you step your foot, you're going to conquer it. And it's going to be from here till here till here till here. It's all encompassing. I mean, this is the kind of leadership prep meeting as a leader you want to have with God when God breaks some of this stuff down to, to, to boost your heart. But I'm saying to you this morning, this is what God is wanting to say to our hearts. I have promises for you in Christ. I have promises for fruitfulness over your life in the midst of the circumstances that we live in. I have promises for you that you will be able to shine with the life of Jesus and be an incredible influence in the lives of the people around you. We're not here accidentally. We're here because God has a purpose for our lives. 
And he promises the same thing, that spiritually speaking, as much as we want of him, as much as we're willing to step, he says, you can have it. You can have it. And then the, the, the sort of third part of it, of, of this incredible God-centered package of promises that are there. And I, I can identify, again, I just feel like God is answering Joshua's unvoiced questions. Because Joshua could have said, okay, you know, okay, you, you, you said Moses is dead. Yeah, great. You acknowledge that. There's a, there's a challenge there. Also, you said we've got to cross into the promised land. I love that. So we're going forward. There's vision. There's progress. We're not staying here. We're not stuck. We're not going to have another 40 years in the desert. Thank you very much. This is great. You also said that all the things that you promised to Moses, you're going to give to us. You've given me a map of the area that we're going to conquer. I love this. You're even saying that every place where I set my foot, you will hand it over to us. I love that. Bottom line, don't think I can do it. Don't think I can do it. I get it. It's a grand vision. It's some wonderful promises. But God, I don't think I can do it. And God is speaking to him right in the, in, in the last verse, in verse 5, and he's saying to him, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The presence of God, the permanent presence of God is the most powerful gift that we have. This is God's make drop. Because to that, you can't say anything else. There's no excuse. There's no fear. There's no insecurity. There's just nothing. You can't argue with that. Because everything you want to argue, saying, I, I can't, I won't, I, I don't, I, I don't have the resources. I don't have the wisdom. I'm not really sure. I feel lonely. I feel weak. I feel this. I feel, God is saying, I will be with you. I will never, never leave you nor forsake you. Whether you feel it, whether you feel like I'm with you, I am with you. Whether you believe I am with you, I am with you. Anywhere you go, anyhow you feel, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. God gives him this incredible encouragement that the presence of God will be with him. And this is probably the most powerful thing that Joshua receives. He receives God's plan. He receives God's promises. He receives God's presence. That's the package. But it's all about God. And it's about making God the priority in our lives. It's not about us. It's about him, first and foremost. And it's coming back to him. It's making him the very center of our lives. It's making sure that we talk less about I and more about him. This is what Joshua needed to 
lead God's people as he stepped into the future. It's exactly the same thing that you and I need at the beginning of this year. A God-centered reminder of this package that God in Christ gives to us as much as he's given it to Moses. God gives us a plan. He has a plan for our lives. You know, people sometimes ask me, particularly younger people, they say, you know, Christy, can I meet with you? I want to talk to you. I want to know what is God's plan for my life? And I say to them, if you buy me a coffee, we can meet and I can tell you what God's plan for your life is. Little do they know that it's not what they expect to hear. Because most of the time, we expect God to give us all sorts of details. You know, where will I live? What job will I have? Who will I marry? What kind of car will I drive? And to be really honest with you, while God is interested in that, it's a secondary interest. The primary interest that God has for us is that we glorify him through our lives. And that we make much of him. And as we glorify him in our life and make much of him in our life, we share and show the good news of Jesus so that the people around us can see that through. Simples. This is it. That's God's will for our life. Every single one of us. Doesn't matter where we live. Anside, Bolton, the Sands, Hess Bank, the Kellets, wherever we live. That's God's plan for our life. To glorify him, to enjoy him, to make much of him, to worship him. And as we do that, to show to every single person around us that he's beautiful. That's God's plan for our life. And we want to step into the promises of God. My biggest fear as a pastor, is my biggest fear as a disciple of Jesus, if I'm really honest with you. My biggest fear as a disciple of Jesus, and I, I, I don't live with a sense of fear, are you going to get in? No, no, I, I know what Christ has done, and I know that my salvation is sealed, and I, I know the work that he's done. But my biggest fear is I will turn up before him not with the attitude that the Apostle Paul had. The Apostle Paul had an attitude where he says, I'm running the race as to win the prize for which Christ called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, my fear is that I'll turn before him and he will say, well done, well, not so well done, sorry. You've done all right. It's, it's that English phrase, isn't it? You've done Okay. You know, part-time faithful servant when you felt like it. Not so very motivated most of the time. Living a pretty apathetic life of worship. (laughs) It's my biggest fear for us as a church. Is that we settle for 40 years in the desert just going around in circles. Well, it's nice, isn't it? Because we're a little bit bigger than the church down the road. Well, it's nice because we sing songs that are a little bit livelier than the church down the road. Well, it's nice because we do a little bit more than the church down the road. We keep comparing. Isn't it funny? We always keep comparing us to churches that probably might be smaller or singing songs that are different than ours. We never compare ourselves to churches that are thriving. (laughs) And we settle for these 40 years in the desert. Isn't it nice? Isn't it lovely? You know... Sometimes I even hear it, it's like people, isn't it lovely? It's just so nice to know each other. You know, it's, it's the same people, isn't it lovely? No, it's not lovely. 
It's not what God wants. God doesn't want the same, you know, 10 people that know each other and love each other. And that's the church. He wants us to grow. You know, when people, I, I love it. Somebody came up to me this morning and they said, who's so-and-so pointing out to some other people? And I just love that kind of problem because it means that we're not just the same 10 people that we've always been, where we've known each other since from birth to death. It's nice to see new faces because it means that people are coming to Jesus and people are, 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 are growing in Jesus. We want to see more and more and more and more and more because that's the right thing. Let's not settle for 40 years going around in circles. Isn't it nice? Sometimes I hear it as well in, in, the, in the Connect group. People are saying, oh, we don't want new people. We've been together for the last 15 years. It's so lovely. Come on. It's great to have new people. Oh, it's great for half people become Christians in churches. Don't get them to come to our group. Because we know each other. We need to have that hunger and thirst for more and more and more. You know, and even with a with new building coming up, beginning to dream crazy dreams of what God can do in our local community and get buzzing. You know, I'd, I'd love for, for us every week to get somebody knocking through an email at our door and saying, guys, have you thought about this? When the new building is up, we can do this? What an amazing idea. Let's not settle for 40 years in the desert. Oh, we've always been there. Well, we've done that. One of the questions I want to put on the table to the leaders as, as we step into 2021 is seriously, what do we need to ditch? There's some stuff that we used to call normal that was part of the old way of doing things that we need to let go because it was rubbish. And God gives us a chance for a reset. And if we go into the boring, rubbish stuff that maybe we should have gotten rid ages ago, some of the church consultants are saying, man, this is great for you as pastors. You know, all the changes you wanted to bring into the church, you can do it now because people might have forgotten how it was. <laughs> You know, and gotten so out of habit of doing certain things. And there's some truth in it. There are certain things we need to let go and say, you know what? Let go. We don't need that. What, why did we do that? We don't need that. And there's other stuff that we're going to go, we really need that. We really need that. I said to somebody, I said, the first service we're going to have and we can gather, you know, all of us together. I said, I don't think we're going to have some preaching because we had loads of preaching going on. But we haven't had sung worship. I would just want to do a three-hour session of sung worship. You know? Because we haven't done that. And I need that. We need that. And we probably need to do some socials as well with everybody in the church. Because we haven't seen each other. So there might be some things that we need to let go. Let's not get stuck in the 40 years in the desert going around in circles. You know, standing on the edge of Jordan. That's my fear. We're standing on the edge of Jordan and go, oh, it looks nice. It's tough. You know, you look at the church building site right now and you go, oh, man, it's muddy. <laughs> Let's dream. Let's dream. Let's have that sense of stepping into the fullness of God. And maybe we feel right now, we're like, oh, shoulders are down. It's kind of, this has been a tough year. It's been hard. It's been difficult. You know, let's, let's step individually into the promised land. 
let's get some enthusiasm up and, 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 and ask the Spirit of God to stir us up. And instead of kind of shoulders down to go, you know, chest out, come on, you know. God has not given up on us. God has kept us until now resiliently. He's done amazing stuff. It's time to step out into the promises of God into the year with an excitement. Okay, things are difficult, but because things are difficult, we can play an amazing role in what God is doing. And let's step and cross over that Jordan into the promised land. Let's not kind of go on with a mentality thinking, oh, you know, it's been a tough year. Okay, it's 2020, it's gone, it's been tough. But let's not have that hanging over us like it could have been hanging over the Israelites thinking, oh man, 40 years, we've been around in circles. We're never going to cross the Jordan. We're never going to get to see the promised land. We want to see the promised land. And it's reality. The reality in terms of numbers was probably about 15 or 20 people who've left CFM. Dissatisfied, disappointed with us. And they've left and some have gone somewhere else and some have not gone anywhere else. And there's probably about five people that have joined CFM. So the numbers, pastorally speaking, are looking kind of low. But I'm choosing to have hope in the new year as it's coming on. I think there will be people that we've never even seen that might have heard the message and will hear the message and you've been witnessing to, you've been encouraging to, that I think they're going to be desperate for hope and we as the church of Jesus will provide that hope, that healing, that restoration. This is going to have to be a year of healing and restoration for the people in this nation who have been so battered by stuff and we will be there We will be there, not because we're qualified, but because of the eyes that Joshua had, the eye of who God is. We have the same eye, the same things that Joshua had. We've got those things. So I'm praying that as we step into this year, we will step with a kind of Joshua attitude, not confident in our own strength, not feeling like we've got it. I haven't got it. I haven't got it. And you probably don't have it either. But we have a God who is amazing. And he will give us the plan and he has given us the promises and he will give us, because we've already got it, his presence is with us. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is already there. You, need to con- you don't, don't need to conjure anything. You don't need to get on a bike and pedal and, and try to, you know, uh, kind of make yourself more God present. God is present. All we need to do is surrender to him, prioritize him, Get excited about the plans and the purposes that he has and join in with that. And that's why over the next three days, we're just going to spend some time as a church seeking God's face, particularly for the community. I have been envious in the spirit of just seeing a couple of churches of friends of mine who in the pandemic have really gotten into the local community doing stuff, young and old. Love to see, you know, young people packing up bags and parcels of of, of food for the local community and things. And in my spirit, I was jealous, you know, and I, I, I said to the Lord, Lord, I want us to be like that. I want us to be a church that will be truly missed from the local community or the local communities. So that if we are gone, people will say, man, we're missing those guys. Because there's something about the presence of Jesus that is special. But I haven't got a clue what the Lord wants us to do. And the last thing I want to do is try to conjure up some idea 
and try to get some sort of a, 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 a thing that I think of that might have nothing to do with what God wants. And that's what I'm saying over the next three days. Let's get together as God's people and let's just be in a posture of listening to him as we pray. And let's just see what God is saying. You know, I haven't got a clue. He might not say anything specific. It might be that it's developing. But I want us to be with that open-handed, open-eared, open-hearted, saying, God, we love our local communities and we want that love to increase even more. But we want to see strategically what is it that is your heart for our local communities. And it might be, and I'm saying local communities, because it might be something that God is laying on your heart and you live in Baltimore Sands or in Silver or in Arnside or in the Kellets. And because we've got pockets of people, it might be that there's three families are going to begin to look after a couple of elderly, lonely people in that community. And that could be one of the things that God will be revealing. Or it might be, for those of you who are at the power hour, I think there's something in this, and it's just in my heart at the moment, but, you know, Beth Taylor's starting a new work, you know, supporting families with, with, and, 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 and people in care with difficulty. You know, and I had, a, when she was going for the job, I said to her, I, I just sense in my spirit, and I could be wrong, and I say it very freely, because I hold everything very freely. There could be something in this, and something in this where there's a link for us as well, and a link maybe with a new building. I don't know. That's, that's the way I kind of operate. There could be something, but no. So we want to come with a posture of praying and saying, God, will you speak to us? Like you spoke to Joshua. Will you speak to us? Show us. What is it that you want to do? Because we don't want to be stuck on the shores and just look across and go, oh, wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> we want to step in. We want this year to be a year of thriving. We want to, to look back at 2021 and say, wow, God's done a work in this church. You know, And it might not be about numbers. It might not be about counting the things that man counts. It might be God, God doing something very different. But I really want to step into this year and cross through this year feeling like we've crossed the Jordan, got into the promised land, and we're really gaining some territory, spiritually speaking, into what God wants to do in changing these communities. That's what it means when I'm talking about conquering land. I'm talking about fruitfulness in God. I'm talking about lives being transformed, people being set free, people being healed, people being strengthened, marriages, families, you know, being restored. And this local community is tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. That's what we're talking about. And that's what Joshua had. And that's what we can have.